Well, lately in our household, we have been talking a lot about worry and praying a lot about worry. Uh, Three years ago, my mother-in-law, Peggy, died after about a five-year battle with cancer. Uh, you, most of you know uh, that, that story and the, the long suffering and the journey that uh, our family took on through that. Uh, Peggy loved Jesus, is with him now. My daughter Cecile, however, was six when Peggy died, and it has certainly impacted her in some good ways and in some more difficult ways. One of the ways that's impacted Cecile is her worry about our physical bodies, her worry about her parents' health, people who love her, her caregivers, like Peggy was, no matter how small the health issue may be. So for example, this might be too much information, but I I run periodically with Laura, and I've noticed I've been getting these painful calluses on the sides of my feet, like the pressure points, the, 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 the ball of my foot and the outside of my foot, you know, where you're, you're landing and running. And my wife's in dermatology, which is a nice in-house benefit. She takes care of some of those calluses for me. And so as Laura's helping with, with that, um, giving me some, some medication and like a little uh, emery board that you can kind of file down calluses, Cecile's like, mommy, is, is it cancer? I had a headache a couple weeks ago. Daddy, do you have cancer? No, sweetheart, I I don't have cancer. I forgot Baby Dane's lunchbox two Thursdays ago and had to stop and go back and get it. And she's in the car and Soren's in the car. We're all on their way to school. Daddy, are you forgetting because there's cancer in your mind? Like, no, Cecile, no, I don't have, I don't have cancer. So It's been some hard conversations, it's been some good conversations, it's been an opportunity to shepherd her and to pray with her and to teach her God's truth about how to fight worry with faith, fight worry with with prayer. Can I ask you, how does worry impact you? How are you perhaps ruled by worry? Anxious toil in your life as you think about your health your physical needs, your provision. How are we to think well about worry in this life? That's our aim for this morning. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, in the Bibles we've provided on your chairs, you can find that on page 811. And if you're here today and you need a Bible, we would love to give you one in the lobby. On the bookshelf there, there are black hardback Bibles you're welcome to take for yourself. This morning, we're continuing in our series, multiple month series in the Sermon on the Mount that covers Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're we're marching along, got a couple months left. Uh, The title of this series is The Ways of the King, because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals the qualities and the characteristics of his kingdom, what it looks like to be a subject, a servant of him uh, of the true king, what your life is to be about, what perspective you should have on life. Matthew 6, I'll read verses 25 through 34. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches the ethic of his kingdom. How should we live? What perspective should we have? Last Sunday, we explored a kingdom perspective on material resources. And in that section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Jesus is cautioning us against the accumulation of more and more and more material goods. In fact, bowing down and worshiping, serving material things. He, he in fact, says you cannot serve both God and money. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. So it's a caution. He's providing us a kingdom perspective on material resources. This morning, Jesus provides a kingdom perspective on material needs. Not necessarily on heaping up resources, but on the legitimate, basic needs of human life, necessities. How are we to think about our legitimate needs? Again, 19 through 24, Jesus makes very clear you cannot serve God and money. Money is a cruel slave master. It keeps you coming back, and it never satisfies you, and it will leave you preoccupied as you think about your stuff, your accumulations. And so the link here between 19 through 24 and 25 through 34 is how do we think about material resources? How do we not let it be a cruel slave master that we are preoccupied and worried about? That's the link here. Given the danger of being devoted to material things, how should we think about our material necessities? The legitimate things, food, clothing, shelter, things needful for life. As we just learned in the, the Lord's Prayer early on, in Matthew chapter 6, we're to pray for our daily bread. And that's not just food, it's all things needful in life. Food, shelter, clothing, relationships. How do we think about these basic needs? What place should these basic needs occupy in our minds? You'll notice in this passage, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, the verb worry or be anxious occurs six times. Verse 25, 
verse 27, verse 28, verse 31, and twice in verse 34. Jesus' encouragement to his kingdom citizens, those who have put their faith in him, is do not worry about your material needs. Do not worry. He couldn't be clearer, crystal clear, six times over. Do not worry. Do not worry. Trust me to take care of your daily needs. What I want to do is draw out from this passage six reasons why we shouldn't worry about our material needs. Six reasons why we shouldn't worry about our material needs. Now, this will be an opportunity for you to trust the Lord and not worry about a long six-point sermon. You're going to get a, a practical exercise in not worrying here. We'll move efficiently through these six reasons. My take-home charge to you is this. Do not worry about your physical needs, but trust in your good provider and seek his good purposes. Do not worry about your physical needs, but trust in your good provider and seek his good purposes. Six reasons why we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. First, God is a proven provider. God is a proven provider. In this passage, Jesus used two very simple yet very powerful illustrations that prove God's track record of providing. One about birds and the other about wildflowers. Jesus, this master teacher, pulls from his surrounding. It's as if you're going on a walk with him, and he's just like pointing out here, pointing out here. God has a proven track record of providing. Just look all around you. Creation declares the glory of God, and part of that glory is his sustaining power built into his creation. He upholds all things by the power of his word. In him, all things hold together, Colossians 1, 17. Everywhere you look, you see evidence of a good designer, sustainer, provider. It's all around. So Jesus is taking a walk, and he's just pointing out, look at the birds of the air. God's providing. Look at the lilies of the field. God is adorning. God is a proven provider. Verse 26, this first illustration. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, what is Jesus saying here? The birds of the air are not anxious. They're not anxious about what they will eat that day. They trust God to provide for their daily needs. It's a living illustration of what Jesus talked about in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, the birds reveal that. God provides what those birds need for each day. God provides daily bread for the birds of his creation And Jesus' argument is now, how much more you, the crown of his creation? You see, he's using this argument strategy from lesser to greater. If God is faithful to provide in the lesser category, how much more will he be faithful to provide in the greater category? Are you not much more valuable than, than birds? This is healthy theology, healthy creation theology. Humans are more valuable than animals. Now, that might make some of us nervous. 
What I'm not saying is that animals aren't valuable. They are valuable. They're part of God's creation. He spoke them into existence, but humans are more valuable than animals. I love pets, but they are not my kids on that level. Humans are more valuable. Why? Because only humans bear the image of God. We reflect God in that we speak, we create, we exercise rule over God's creation. We bear his image. We are the crown of God's creation. And therefore, we are more valuable, more value than animals. Proverbs 12, verse 10, a righteous person cares for the life of his animal. We're to, we're to steward. Part of us being created in the image of God is exercising right stewardship over God's creation, including animals, including creation, stewarding it, taking care of it, seeking to sustain it, not worshiping it, not worshiping it. We worship God alone. We steward his creation. God created animals. They have great value, but not more than humans. And that's what Jesus is arguing here. How much more will God provide for you? Are you not more valuable than birds? He's a proven provider. Jesus is showing his track record through creation. Well, Jesus moves from one illustration to the next. First, birds. Next, lilies. Wildflowers. Verse 28 through 30. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The flowers of the field, not ones that people went out and cultivated and planted. He's just saying, we're going on a walk on a dusty road and look at the wildflowers. Look at the beauty, how wonderfully adorned these wildflowers are. They don't run to Macy's for their clothing. They don't relentlessly search Amazon for the next purchase. God gloriously clothes them. Look how beautiful they are. Better arrayed than the wealthiest man who ever lived by any human standard, King Solomon. Comparatively, the wealthiest man who ever lived. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was arrayed like one of these. God's wildflowers. The grass of the field, here one day, gone the next. A common fuel in the household in, in first century Judaism. You'd take it up. You'd cut it with a sickle. You'd heat your home. You'd cook your food over the fuel from the grass. How beautifully adorned, yet one day they're gone. Again, a lesser to greater argument. If God so wonderfully arrays and adorns wildflowers, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he beautify you? Oh, you of little faith. Very important here. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you of no faith. He's encouraging. He's spurring on little faith. Deficient faith. Oh, Lord, increase our faith. That's what he's trying to do through this tender teaching here. They don't have zero faith. They, they have some faith, but it needs to, to grow in God's provisionary care, his benevolence. 
And just like he challenges them in two chapters later, Matthew 8, 26, the calming of the storm. Master, master, we're perishing. Don't you care? And what does he say? Oh, you have little faith. Won't you trust me to protect you? Oh, you have little faith here. Won't you trust me to provide for you? He's cultivating trust in our hearts. He's cultivating trust. God is a proven provider. Take a walk this week through God's beautiful creation. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Look at the sun, the moon, and the stars that he hung in place. He is good. He is sustaining. He is providing daily by the power of his word. Get outside and look and see. And let your faith in his provision grow. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. All things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. He is sustaining all things. How has God proven himself as a provider in your own life? In the recent past, in the more distant past. As you survey your life, how has he shown himself good? How has he provided for you? Survey his past actions of faithfulness. One of the most dangerous things that we can have in our lives is spiritual amnesia, forgetting the benevolence of the Lord, forgetting his good hand in our lives, forgetting his provision. Just think past. It is dangerous in the Old Testament when Israel forgets the Lord because when they forget him, grumbling is coming next. When we forget and grow ungrateful, grumbling comes next. So just survey your life. How has God been good to you? In the last two hours, two weeks, two years, 20 years, how has he shown himself? He's got a track record in your life and in mine. He's a proven provider. Reason number one, not to worry about material provision, is that God is a proven provider. Reason number two is that worry is futile. Worry is futile. Jesus says in verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And with a sentence, Jesus humbles us all. Your worry, my worry, is useless. It's unproductive energy. Wasted energy. Think about what you're doing when you worry. You're fixing your mind on something that is out of your control. It's wasted energy. My, my good friend and mentor at Hope Fellowship Church, Curtis Cook, said this a number of years ago, and I've never forgotten. He says, why worry when you can pray? Well, I mean, that's, that seems kind of simple. Why worry when you can pray? I mean, think about it. Worry is wasted mental energy. Prayer is productive mental energy. Worry is fixing your mind on your inability. Prayer is fixing your mind on God's ability. Worry is fixing your mind on things you can't control. Prayer is fixing your mind on the, the God who has all control. Why worry when you can pray? It's sideways energy, wasted energy. Use that same mental energy to pray, to direct your thoughts to God who commands all things, who created all things, who sustains all things. Why worry? When you can pray, let your worry 
be a prompt for you to pray. I don't know what, how worry shakes down in your life. Here's how it does in mine. When I'm anxious about paying bills or relationships or something that's just not right in my life, I typically am okay going to bed at night. I just can't stay asleep. So I'll wake up at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning, and my mind starts churning and churning and churning, and I'm fretting. And I've learned to let those times of fretting to be prompts to pray. Don't waste energy. Get on your knees, Dane, and pray. Let your worry be a prompt for you to pray. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Paul speaks to this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is Paul teaching us to do? Fight worry with prayer. And not just prayer. Notice what else is in here. Thankfulness. With prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Oh my goodness. Why? It goes back to surveying your life and God's proven track record. Look and be thankful for what he's done in the past. He's a proven provider. So Paul is encapsulating Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 6 in Philippians 4. Pray. Let your worry be a prompt for you to pray, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and be thankful. Survey what he's done. Fight worry with prayer and thankfulness. Worry is, in fact, a form of pride. What do I mean by that? Worry is us placing ourselves in shoes we're not meant to stand in. We're trying to stand in God's shoes. Worry's rooted in pride and self-reliance. We need to let God stand in the shoes that he alone is to occupy. And we stand beside him, hugging on, holding on to him tight. Worry is rooted in pride. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Follow his logic here. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now watch this. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. One of the ways that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is by casting our anxieties on him. Because we're saying, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. Humble yourselves. How? By casting your anxieties on him. He is God and we are not. And the more you think that you are God and he is not, the more worried you're going to be. Get out of his shoes. Get in your own and just cling to him and pray to him. Worry is often rooted in pride. Reasons not to worry about our physical needs. God is a proven provider. Worry is futile. Reason number three, God has promised to provide. God has promised to provide. We see this wonderful promise in verse 33. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you see that beautiful promise embedded in those words? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Be about God's business, and he'll take care of your business. Seek the affairs of God, and he'll take care of your own earthly affairs. That's what he's saying. 
It's a promise to his children, to those who trust in him. Again, Jesus is speaking to kingdom citizens. This is for Christians. Seek his business, and he'll provide for you. Be a diligent disciple, and he will supply what you need to follow him. A promise to provide necessities, not luxuries. Necessities, not luxuries. Very important. Oh, we we kind of straddle both of those. What, what is needful for life? Food, clothing, shelter, relationships. He's promising to provide necessities, not luxuries. Well, there is an exception here. Perhaps in your own mind, well, what about those in the persecuted church, those suffering for righteousness' sake? Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Many Christians throughout the world, throughout history, are in fact persecuted for righteousness' sake, for following Jesus, and one of the means of persecution is starvation, withholding food from people imprisoned. So this is not a promise that is entirely blanketed. There are exceptions when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you may face great lack. Trust in him. Look to him. By and large, in most other settings, God is going to provide for his people as we seek his business. His ultimate provision is his care for our souls, his preservation of our souls unto eternity. So even if as a means of your own persecution in this life, you are withheld something that you need, or you ultimately perish, your health fails, God has provided your greatest need in Christ that can never be taken away from you. Your relationship with him, you've inherited eternal life by faith. He is a gracious provider. He has promised to provide. So can I ask you, will you trust God's word? What need do you have right now? How is your mind fixed on a material need? If you're a disciple of Jesus, pray to him, seek him, ask for his provision, and go about his business. Use your gifts, build others up, pray for people, engage your neighbors, go about his kingdom work, and trust in him to supply what you need. If we seek the Lord's business, he will take care of our business. That's what Jesus is saying here. God is a proven provider. Worry is futile. God has promised to provide. Number four, God has better work for us than worry. God has better work for us than worry. Consider what Jesus says at the end of verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Friends, a disciple's life does not consist in the things that he or she owns. Life is more than the body, than the material. Life is about what God's doing in his kingdom on the glorious spiritual level. We've got to lift our heads above the sands of our earthly things and see what he's doing. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. God has meaningful work for us to do as his kingdom citizens. Fix your eyes on that work. Go after that work. 
Again, Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Be about his kingdom, not the preserving of your own kingdom. Build his kingdom, not your own. He has better work for us to do. Uh, the Roman emperor Julian in the fourth century was trying to squelch Christianity. Christians were hard-pressed on every side, but the harder he squeezed, the more they served, the more they were about God's kingdom work. And he comments on their distinctly curious lives. He says, we Romans ought to be ashamed. Those Christians feed not only their own people, but ours as well. In the midst of their persecution, in the midst of them being squeezed by a corrupt dictatorship, they continue to serve other Christians and, in fact, other Romans to the shame of Emperor Julian. Look at them. They were going about the Lord's business no matter their circumstances. And God was with them, sustaining them. Be about the Lord's business. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see this example of generosity among the Macedonian Christians. Paul says these Macedonian Christians gave out of their poverty. Paul says, in fact, they gave when they had no business giving. They gave when no financial advisor would say give. They gave out of their poverty. What are they doing? They're about the Lord's business before their own business. They gave when they didn't have enough money to give. They gave and they trusted the Lord to provide. Be about the Lord's affairs and he'll take care of your affairs. That's what Jesus is saying here. God has better work for us than to worry about our stuff. Six reasons not to worry about our material needs. God is a proven provider. Worry is futile. God has promised to provide. God has better work for us than worry. Reason number five, each day will have its own difficulties. Each day will have its own difficulties. Now, this may seem counterintuitive, but it's exactly what Jesus says here. He's not promising easy street. We see this, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What is Jesus doing here? He's helping us manage our expectations in a fallen world. In this life, you will have trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't think about the next two weeks. You're going to be overwhelmed. Just think about this day and God's promise to provide in this day my daily bread. My grandfather, I love him dearly. He passed away in 2011. Massive influence in my life. And towards the end of his life, I'd just go and visit with him, talk with him. I didn't drink coffee back then, but he drank it all day long. And I would just sit with him and let him tell me stories. And when I would ask him, Pap, how are you doing? He would say, oh, Dane, one day at a time. He was hurting. He was blind. He said, one day at a time. One day at a time. That's what Jesus is saying here. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. That's not to say that he's not with you in the trouble. In fact, the Lord promises, Lamentations chapter 3, new morning mercies. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. So with the trouble comes the mercy. New morning mercies. Yes, today's going to have trouble. Don't worry about the next two weeks. Today's going to have enough trouble, but God gives us mercy each day. He gives us grace for each day. He, in fact, gives us our daily bread. 
grace each day. Six reasons why we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. God is a proven provider. Worry is futile. God has promised to provide. God has better work for us than worry. Each day will have its own difficulties. And reason number six, God has provided for our greatest need. God has provided for our greatest need. Romans 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Notice what Paul's doing here. He's doing the reverse of what Jesus just did with the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Jesus is using a lesser to greater argument. If God provides in the lesser category, the birds and the lilies, how much more for you? Well, what Paul does, he goes from greater to lesser. If God did not spare his own son for you, the greatest need, how will he not also give you all things? So he's going from the greatest to lesser. Jesus goes lesser to greater. It works, it works both ways and you're, as you're arguing truth. If God did not spare his own son, he's provided our greatest need. How much more will he also take care of all these other things? God has taken care of your greatest need. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you stand in great need. You are staring down a Christless eternity, separated from God in a real place called hell for all eternity. That's what we deserve because of our sins. You are in great peril. I am in great peril if I don't trust in Christ. Yet God, in the riches of his mercy, has provided for you, provided for you in that great place of need. He sent his son Jesus to bear the penalty that you deserve, to die in your place as a substitute, to rise again from the grave, conquering sin and its consequence, death, offering you the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. He's provided for your greatest need if you would take it up by faith. You cannot work for it. You cannot achieve it. You cannot merit it. You can only receive it by faith. This is the gospel. It's your greatest need. It's my greatest need. And if God has given us, provided for us in our greatest need, how much more will he take care of our lesser needs? And Cecile, my dear, I know you're in Beacon Kids. This is why we do not have to worry about cancer or any other thing. Because God did not spare his son. Our eternal states are secure. It doesn't matter what happens to you physically in the end. Because your soul is with Jesus. He's taking care of your greatest need. Trust in him. Trust in him. Don't let him go. He's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your wonderful provision. As we just experienced reading, hearing your word, what a, what a gift, what a mercy. We confess we are worried people, oftentimes staring down the, the sands of our circumstances, thinking about what is coming next, how are we going to pay the next bill, am I going to take care of my kids, what's going to happen in college and education, what if I lose my job? What if my health fails? Oh, Lord, help us to trust in you, 
to see your track record of provision and ultimately to see how you've provided our greatest area of need. And I pray for some who've not received it, Lord, that you would move the needle in their life, that they would trust in your great provision through Christ, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.